Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. I love being in His house and listening to His Word and, you know, putting my trust in Him and just relaxing, you know, for God's in control, right? His Word said that He's in control and that He loves us and He'll never leave us and He'll never forsake us if we're we're His. So we just need to trust in the Lord and, and praise God all the day long because, you know, Life is hard, but God is good. So praise be to God. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through, 1 through 14. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer. And uh, let's ask the Lord God to bless our service and, and help us to understand His words today. Lord God, thank you so much, Lord, for all that you do for us, Lord. And thank you so much for who you are and Thank you so much, Lord, for your character. Lord, for your character is wonderful. You are mighty. You are our counselor. You are mighty God, everlasting Father, and your word says that you are Prince of Peace. Thank you, dear God, that you give us all these promises, Lord. I just thank you so much, Lord, for all the many promises and all the wonderful things that you offer us, Lord. I just pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to focus on you while I read this word of yours and help us all to focus on you while I'm teaching. Lord, I pray that the people wouldn't listen to me, but Lord, they would hear you. Because Lord, I don't want to be in the spotlight, Lord. I'm just a man. Mortal. You, Lord God, are immortal. Perfect. Holy in every way. And good in every way. So, Lord, thank you so much, and I just pray, Lord, you'd teach us today. Teach us by your Holy Spirit and help us to learn. Help us to learn all that you want us to know today. Keep the distractions down, Lord. I pray that you would keep the devil from our minds and from this place, Lord. I pray that he would not be able to distract us and help us to focus on you and your word and your teaching and your truths. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So our title of today's message today, the parable of the wedding feast. But we'll get to that right after we get to the thoughts from last week's message, the parable of the wicked vine dressers. So remember last week, Jesus pointed out in that parable that the landowner, who was God, was not able to collect the fruit that was due to him from his vineyard because the wicked vine dressers wanted it all themselves. Okay? Remember, this was a picture of how the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not pointing God, or not pointing the people to God because they wanted all the praise and the power and the worship and the ownership of all the people. And remember, the fruit that God wanted from the people was their power, was the praise of the people, was the worship of the people. And God, you know, wanted to be their owner. God wanted to be their boss. Okay, God wanted to be the one that was in control because God is worthy. He is the one that needs to be in control. Well, this is both sad and terrible at the same time. And the main reason why the religious leaders refused to turn to Christ. Okay. They refused to turn to him because by turning to him, 
they would have been forfeiting the control and power they had over the people. Well, what can we learn from this today? What example can we take away from this parable and have for today that we can you know, go off of as a, as a pattern or, or as a warning or as a learning tool for us today? Well, here's what God showed me in our thoughts from last week. Number one. First word, what we can learn from this today. Church leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, whatever, anybody that's in charge and in the leadership of any church at any level in any church in the world today. And here's what we need to learn as leaders. If you're a leader and you listen to this or pastor, some kind of leader. Warning, 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 warning. You and me, see, we better be pointing the people in our churches to God. We are not the Savior. We cannot save the people. We cannot even, you know, I mean, we can't just, we just can't save them. We're not God. We better take Jesus' warning to the religious leaders of his day seriously because the same warning he gave to them goes for us as well. So we better be pointing the people to God and not ourselves. Number one, that's the first word that we have for today. Number two, to the layman. Or in other words, someone that's in a church and that's not serving God or they're just in church or, you know, you go to church, you attend church somewhere and you're, you participate, but you don't lead others. Just, you know, you go to that church. Well, God wants you to give Him all your worship, praise, and ownership, Him and Christ, and not your church leader. You see, God doesn't care how wonderful of a speaker they are. God doesn't care how charismatic they may be, or even how wonderful of a person they are, which, I mean, all those things are good, but God doesn't care about those things when it comes down to giving God His due. Giving God what's do to him the fruit from him you which are his vineyard okay what does god want from you well whether church leader or layman god says in his word that he is a jealous god exodus 34:14 and deuteronomy 4:24 which means he wants all of you he doesn't just want a piece He doesn't just want a tenth of the pie. He wants the whole pie. He wants all your praise. He wants all your worship. And he wants to own you completely. And he doesn't want to share it with any, specifically any human being. We're just people. And if you don't see, the thing is, is this is happening in our churches today. It's been happening in churches, Christian churches, since probably Christ left. Leaders raise up and they like the adoration of the people and so they promote that and then they accept that and it's a dangerous thing. If you don't think people are, you better take a closer look in your, inside your church building and I'll guarantee you that if you start to look around and you start to just observe, you'll see a certain pastor or a certain assistant pastor or a certain worship leader that the people just adore. I went to a church myself one time and there was an assistant pastor there that basically he could do no wrong. 
he he was like almost like God in these people's eyes. And no matter whatever he said, it was like they were blinded and they just followed him and you know did what he said and, and they just were just head over heels just in, in praise and adoration to this guy and he could like almost do no wrong. And this happens in a lot of churches. And unfortunately, according to what we read last week, God's a jealous God. He wants all of your praise and all of your worship. He don't want to share it with his, with if the fellow or the lady, whatever servant in the church, if that is God's real servant, he don't want to share you with them. He doesn't want to share you with them. So, layman, it's not wrong to give honor to those in leadership. In fact, the Bible says that we should honor those that are in leadership but the danger comes is when we exalt them to a place of adoration so that's for you layman anybody that's going to a church and just attending a church and so on and so forth but church leader you better be pointing the people to god and not yourself remember what jesus said last week and i'll turn it into you here now he gave you the position you have And you need to let him have the fruit of his vineyard unless you want him to destroy you miserably, as he said of those then. And he can give your position to another who will give him the fruit of his vineyard that he wants. See, God doesn't play games. If we are his, we must give him all of our praise, worship, adoration, and ownership. We must give it all to him and not share it with anybody else. So, thoughts from last week, that's what we can learn from that parable as far as ourselves go, as far as the Christian church goes. We just need to be careful. All right, praise God. Let's move forward on to this week's message. Uh, Our title again, the parable of the wedding feast. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Let's read them. Chapter 22, Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, And went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. Wow. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, Go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few 
are chosen. All right. So this is now what? This is our third parable Jesus is giving to the religious leaders that we have a recording of in response to, remember, their scornful question of, you know, by what authority are you doing the things that you're doing? And his answer to them, you know, where is John the Baptist's baptism from? Remember how they scorned him and they, you know, gave him a, a, oh, I don't know answer to where John the Baptist's baptism was from. And that, you know, they came to him already knowing where he claimed to have his authority from. And they mocked him and scorned him and asking him again, by where do you, by who do you, by what do you do all these things that you do? By what authority? So here is the last parable. This may be the last parable. This may be the last bit that Jesus has to say to them in response to what they told him, but he has some really powerful stuff to say. So let's get into it. As we just read verse 1, he just tells us that it's he's giving them more parables. So verse 2 is where we pick up the third parable. Let's read it over again, and let's see what God has to say to us in depth. Verse 2 again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, who arranged a marriage for his son. Notice, first of all, that this is a kingdom of heaven is like parable. Jesus has given those, us those types of parables before, lots of them actually. So what we're going to do for translation here, or, or interpretation I should say, because Jesus doesn't give us the interpretation to this parable, but he, what we're going to do for this interpretation for this is we're going to use previous interpretations of the kingdom of heaven is like parables, and we're going to impose them on this one, which is okay to do. So, kingdom of heaven parable, he says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. Well, who would that king be? That king, of course, we know from other parables. Kingdom of heaven is like parables. We know is God. So the kingdom of heaven is like a God who arranged a marriage for his son. Well, who do we know is God's son? God's son is who? Jesus Christ, of course. And because he only has one begotten son. And so what does God say that he did, that he does here? A certain king, which is God, goes and prepares, gets his son, and he prepares a marriage. Kingdom of heaven is like a certain king arranged a marriage for his son. What marriage is God speaking about here? Because God arranged a marriage for his son, Jesus Christ. But what marriage is God speaking of here? Well, why the marriage of the supper of the Lamb, of course, written down for us in Revelation 19, 7 through 9. I'll read it. Let's, if you want to go to Revelation 19, you can. Otherwise, you can listen along. God says in his word, Revelation 19, 7 through 9, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb, which is Christ now, has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So there's the prearranged marriage. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints so this bride has saints in it so it's a very interesting thought here i'll explain in a second then he said to me which would be the angel right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true sayings of god so who is the prearranged marriage for for christ at the end of time it would be the church the christian church that christ came to set up on this earth is the prearranged marriage that God had for Jesus at the end of the age. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I say. So Jesus Christ is going to be married at the end of the age to the Christian church. And this is what did God say? A prearranged marriage. 
Okay? This is the way God did things. This is the way God decides to do it. He prearranged the Christian church to marry Jesus Christ. What do we learn next? Read verse 3. And he sent out servants, he said, to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. So God sends servants out to go and call notice those that were prearranged or pre-chosen to come to this, you know, they were pre-chosen or pre-arranged to come to this wedding. God had already had their invites out. He already planned this. These are the people that I'm going to invite. I've already got my wedding, my list of people to come. These are the people that I've chosen. Go out and give them their invitation and let's get this wedding going and let's, you know, let's rock and roll. Okay? So, he had already pre-invited, pre-chosen those to come and be a part of his church that he was building through Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, verse 3 tells us that what? They didn't want to come. How sad is that? Biblically, as we know the interpretation here, the servants of God here are those God has called to serve him. For instance, his Old Testament prophets or his New Testament apostles. Or, of course, we know that Christ also was calling people to his feast, calling people to the wedding feast. So this is, or anybody, for instance, or any leader in God's church that God's called to serve him, we are the ones to go out and invite these people you know, pre-chosen people or pre-invited people to come to this wedding feast, okay? But specifically here, this would have been Jews calling the Jews because those that were already pre-invited or pre-chosen to come would be the Jewish people as a whole, okay? Even those darn religious leaders that were so wicked and weren't giving God the fruit of his vineyard that they, you know, that he wanted would be the whole Jewish nation would be those that were pre-invited. And how do we know this? Again, because the Bible tells us so. Where do you say it? it tells us this? Well, there's all kinds of examples in the Old Testament and all kinds of examples in the New Testament. But just one, just for time's sake, we go to Deuteronomy 7, 6, and we find that the Jews are God's chosen people, the ones that God chose to come and he pre-invited them, he forechose them, he foreknew them, Deuteronomy 7, 6 where we read Moses tell the Jews, or Israelites, as they were called in that day, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. So we know from all God's pre-election and his foreknowing, his forechoosing and all that stuff, that God foreknew and forechose the Jewish people to come. They were supposed to be his special people, his chosen people, the Jewish nation of Israel. So the Jews as a whole, according to Jesus here, unfortunately, and another place in the New Testament, didn't accept God's invitation to salvation and the great wedding feast Jesus tells us that's coming. They rejected Jesus, according to what Jesus just said here. They did not want to come. He sent, God sends the servants, come to the wedding feast. They said, no, we're, you know, we don't want to come. That's the end, right? Not quite. What does God do for them? Look at verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, so those, those darn pre-invited, you know, pre-invited Jews, Tell those that are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding. So what does God do? Does he give up? No. 
God shows us his persistence here. God is very persistent. He sends other servants to go tell them the benefits of the wedding. The benefits of this great wedding feast that God has for them. He already has it planned and he's, he's ready. He just, wants to, he just wants those pre-chosen people, those ones that were already invited. He just wants them to come. He calls them again and again and again and again and again. And we know since this wedding feast is the great one that's going to happen in heaven, we really know that God's really telling them all the benefits that there are even of heaven. Hey, everything's ready. How wonderful it's going to be. Wow, pray, you know, we've got heaven ready for you guys. Come to the feast. You'll never thirst again. You'll never be hungry again. Just come to the feast. Come to heaven, my pre-chosen children. Come to heaven. Heaven's going to be such a wonderful place. I have everything all ready for you. I have your houses. I have your food all ready. Just come and be wed to me. Be part of the church that I'm building. Come and be mine now. Wow. And so now God just gave him this wonderful picture of heaven and this wonderful picture of this feast, right? I mean, after all, after he gives him this awesome picture of heaven and this awesome picture of this feast, what do these pre-invited and pre-chosen Jewish people in the parable do? After all, with the beautiful picture that Jesus just, God just told these servants to go paint, after all, they must be climbing, you know, over fences and walls to get there now, right? I mean, they must be climbing over themselves and just, just, just jumping to get in, right? Not quite. Look at verses 5 and 6. But they, these would be the Jews now, made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So what again, we have another parable exactly like the last one Jesus gave of the wicked of the uh, wicked vine dressers. We have this picture of what the majority of the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, both religious and non-religious and political, of Jesus' day and before had done to the servants of God that came to these people and said, Come to God. Hey, people, you're God's chosen people. Come on, repent and turn back to Him. And this is a picture of exactly what happened. We covered that last week with the prophets. And well, the Jewish people as a whole throughout time, throughout when, you know, God was calling them by different servants, different prophets rejected. And they didn't turn back. And they rejected God. And they did exactly what Jesus talked about here. They made light. They killed some servants. They cast them out. They beat others. So on and so forth. It goes on and on and on and on and on. You know what God says here in this parable? And what you see from God in the Old Testament and the way that the majority of the Jewish people responded to him reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 37, where he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her, how often I had wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. How sad is that? God, picture of God, so loving, so patient toward his chosen Jewish nation of Israel, but they did not turn to him. It reminds me of 2 Peter 3, 9. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then what do we have? We have God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's desire to save. But then we have our rebellious darn free will of ours and both the Jewish nation of Israel back then. What a shame. So what does now, what now, what does the king or what does God do to these chosen Jewish people or or the Jews that were chosen to come to his great wedding feast, but he refused? Look at verse 7. Look what God does now. He tries and he tries and he tries and he tries. It's a picture Jesus just gave us. But then they kept rejecting and they kept rejecting and they kept rejecting in verse 7. But when the king heard about it, when the king heard about how all the wicked Jewish people had treated all his servants that were just trying to call them back to God, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. What does he do? He makes them to suffer the consequences for their decision of rebellion and rejection. They lived in rebellion or or in sinfulness towards God, and so sin brings consequence, okay? When we sin, if you break the law of the land, and you speed, and you go 90 miles an hour in a 30, well, chances are at one point you're going to get caught and you're going to go to prison, okay? Because 90 and a 30 is completely against the law, and that's, you know, like attempted murder or, or something along those lines. Okay? If you jump off a building, a 10-story building with no parachute, and you land on the ground, chances are you're going to splat and you're going to die. Whatever you do brings consequence. Sin is no different. When you sin, it brings consequence. When you sin against God, it brings consequence against you. And that's exactly what we see here that God allows to happen to the Jewish people. They kept rejecting kept rejecting, murdered and stoned and cast all servants out, so he brings the consequence upon them. And you see, it's true, when we live for God, the Word of God says that God's protection is kind of upon you when we live for Him. doesn't mean our lives are going to be great or absolutely perfect, but when we live for God, then His protection is kind of upon us. But if we rebel, and if we turn away from God, then kind of that wrath goes out because we're kind of moved outside of the umbrella of his love and protection because we're telling him we just don't want him and we don't want to live for him. So then, just like if it's raining outside and you're standing underneath an umbrella and you move outside of that umbrella, you're going to get wet. Well, if you move outside of God's love and God's protection and you move to your own path, then you're going to start facing that rain that God didn't want you to face while he gave you an umbrella. But nevertheless, sin brings consequence. So sadly here, what Jesus says of what the great king or God did here actually happened literally many times in recorded biblical history and a couple major times in written biblical history as well as non-biblical history to the Jews. So all that God said here, all that Jesus Christ in this parable said was going to happen to the Jews actually happened to them. Again, in the Bible, outside of the Bible. It happened to them in the past as a consequence of them not following him. And it was going to happen to them as a soon-to-be consequence of them rejecting Christ and then eventually murdering him. Their consequences were going to fall. And you say, where? 
Well, you can go to look in your own Bibles. I'm not going to go through them for time's sake. This could be a five-hour sermon. But the book of Judges, for instance. We read about the Israelites who God, you know, gave Moses. And then Moses' successor, Joshua, takes over and then leads the people. And then Joshua dies. And then here we have the book of Judges where the people are this up-and-down roller coaster. They live for God and God God is good with them and they're good with God. And then all of a sudden the, the judge dies or whatever. And then they start to go downhill and they start to just live reprobate. They just start to live against God, lives against God. God gives them over into the hand of their enemies, the book of Judges says, and therefore they get suppressed and oppressed by these evil nations of the lands that are around them, and then they go into captivity, then they cry out to God, God sends them a deliverer, and this happens over and over and over and over and over in the book of Judges. That happened a lot of little times, okay? And then they would come back and leave, come back and leave, come back and leave. Then, Then the first major time it happens to them is God says, I've had it. You just, all the kings, and it's first kings, and second kings, and first chronicles, and second chronicles. And then at the end, really, of all this, comes the Babylonian captivity, where there'd be a good king, and then a bad king, and then a good king, and then five bad kings. And so I'm just paraphrasing, but there was good kings, and then there were bad kings. And then the people would follow God under the good king, but then the bad king would come, and the people wouldn't follow God. And eventually, what had God allowed to happen, the people wouldn't turn to him, even though he sent them Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and all these prophets, Daniel... God, they kept hurting them and kicking them out and rejecting them. So what did God allow to happen? Babylon. God says, I'm going to bring Nebuchadnezzar upon you. Nebuchadnezzar came upon them. He, he destroyed their, 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 all their whatever, and he took the people out of the land and took them captive to Babylon, and there was their captivity for 400 years or something like that, and then they end up coming back. And then the final one that Jesus is speaking about here in these two verses here was, of course, because they killed Christ, their consequence for killing Christ, their consequence for rejecting him and killing him and kicking him out was, of course, Titus in 70 AD. The great Roman general Titus came in and he completely leveled Jerusalem. Jesus looked at the temple with his disciples one time and he said, not one stone will be standing upon another. Okay, And this was going to happen because of their rejection of him. Okay, so what happened, what Jesus says here that was about to happen, what what God did, but when the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies. God in the Old Testament claimed that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was his army. Okay, Rome, these were all tools that God used to punish the Jews, to inflict punishment upon them because they kept turning away from him. His desire was to turn them back to him, but they wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen. Rebellion, 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 rebellion. And then God would send the consequence on them and then, you know, they would turn back to God. Well, the last one, unrecorded biblical history, again, 70 AD, Roman general Titus comes in, wipes out Jerusalem, takes the cap, you know, takes Jews captive, so on and so forth. God eventually then brings them back into the land in 1948, where they still are to this very day, but nevertheless, they really still live in rebellion towards God now. And they really still don't follow God. They don't follow his final prophet or his final son, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, who knows what's going to happen next. Okay, but this actually really happened, verse 7, happened lots of times, biblical and non-biblical history. So God speaks of his judgment upon Israel, verse 7, because of their rejection slash rebellion against him and Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 8, then he says to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So you see, because of their rejection, Jesus says that many of them were not worthy of the feast. 
And so what did we say also, since this is heaven, they were not only not ready for the feast or not worthy of the feast, they were not worthy of eternal life also. And no, no doubt about it, you know, if we reject God's path through Christ, you will not be counted worthy to enter eternal life, you know, because his blood covers us if we're his and his blood covers us and God lets us inherit eternal life forever because we're cleansed from our sins. But without that, just like the Jews, they rejected Christ's path. If we reject Christ's path, then the same thing, the same consequence will fall upon us as well. So I have to make a quick doctrinal point here because I always look for them in Scripture. God shows them to me. See, we have this point in a very wicked teaching today called Calvinism. We have this point called unconditional election. And what is this point called unconditional election? It, they say, they claim this evil teaching that God forechose certain people and he elects them. And once God elects you, you are, that's it. You're saved. There's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can't, you can't say no. To God. It's called unconditional election. Okay? And you can't say no, and if God shows you you're his, and that's just it, and there's gonna come a time and point in time when you get saved and that's it, and you're just his, that's it for good. Well, why is that not right according to what we just read Jesus say here? He said, He just said, I'm gonna read it again, verse 8. Then he said to his servants, again, the wedding is ready for those who were invited were not worthy. Well, again, tell me if you remember why they weren't worthy. Jesus didn't say here that they weren't worthy because God didn't elect them because they were the elected of God. They were the chosen people of God. Jesus said they weren't worthy because they willfully rejected God's path. It was on them, not on God. God elected and chose the Jewish nation, the Israelites, the Jews, yet because of their willful rejection on them, that's why they were not counted worthy. Very interesting point we cannot overlook. Because if unconditional election is true, if God chooses you and you're and God saves you, that's it. You have no choice yet here. They weren't counted unworthy because they weren't elected, because they were elected and they were chosen. They were counted unworthy because they willfully rejected. We have to be careful on what we listen to. Anybody out there that's listening to this message or goes to a church or believes a certain way, you have to be careful how you believe. Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Be careful what you hear. Be careful how you hear it. You just can't take some section of Scripture out of context and then just make a whole teaching on it. Okay, so now, unfortunately, Jesus tells us that the, that, that the consequences of the no wedding feast and no eternal life for rejecting the Jews is not their only consequence where, look at verses 9 and 10 for some more consequences for their rejection of him. Verse 9, therefore, he says, go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Because the Jews rejected God and Christ, God decided to have his servants go out 
to call others to the feasts or others to eternal life. So sad for the Jews, but so good, so sweet for many others that weren't Jewish. I and mean, that's good for some, bad for the others. Jesus just told them about something that God had prophesied many times in the Old Testament Jewish scriptures. What is it? You see here, Jesus talks about something that the prophets spoke about. It was the opening up of eternal salvation to the Gentiles. God spoke through just at least one prophet, just for today, just one little, you know, we're talking about one prophet here, not going to give too many examples, just for time's sake. But he spoke to the prophet Isaiah years before, six to eight hundred years before Christ lived. And a few references, Isaiah, we have Isaiah 49, 6. Isaiah 42.6 and Isaiah 52.1. We have all these references where God speaks to Isaiah and he says, at one point, I'm going to allow the Gentiles. Now I'm going to open up my salvation. I'm going to open up my kingdom unto Gentiles. And I'm going to call the Gentiles as a people. I'm not just going to call the Jews. Jews have been called. They've been chosen. I'm also going to call the Gentiles. I'm going to choose the Gentiles as well too. So praise be to God for that. Now, some quick notes have to be made here because a very another very evil teaching has come and been born because of this idea, idea Jesus just mentioned here of the Gentiles being called and God rejecting the Jews because of the rejection of him. What is that evil teaching, you say? Well, that evil teaching that's developed from this is another one, and it's called replacement theology. You see, we have this teaching in our world today that says... That God, since the Jews rejected God and Christ, God replaced the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, with the Gentile Christian church. And if you're not certain of those terms, Jewish person is someone that's a descendant from Abraham. And a Gentile would be anybody that's not descended from Abraham. So we have Jew and Gentile. One, one is a chosen race of God and the other is a not chosen race of God. God said, I called the Jews. He didn't say I called the Gentiles, but now God is saying here, I'm choosing the Gentiles also. Okay. And this replacement theology teaches that the Jews, the Israelites are no longer God's chosen people. God's kicked them out of the way, you could say, and placed in their place the Christian Gentile church, which I hate to tell you is ridiculous, unscriptural, and it's heretical. It's just absolute heresy. In other words, you could say I call it a very evil and wicked teaching that man has come up with. What does God have to say in his word about this evil man-made idea? There are many scriptures in the Old Testament where God speaks on this, but just one big one for time's sake because God says and talks a lot about this in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37. God speaks about how he'll never cast away the Israelites. He'll never cast away the Jews. He will never replace them. He'll never get tired of them. He's not ever going to be done with them. Jeremiah 31, these six verses, listen along. Behold, God says, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to take away the Israelites or the Jews, but he said, I'm going to make a new deal or a new covenant with them. 
He says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. So we know that we're, he's talking about the Jews here. We know he's talking about the Jews that he, through Moses, led out of Egypt. So we have our context right, okay? My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I, for I will forgive them of their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, so we're talking about the sun for light by day and the moon for light by night, for if those ordinances depart from before me, which that hasn't happened, has it? The sun is still shining and the moon is still out there shining too. The sun's light at night. If those ordinances depart from me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So since the sun hasn't gone away and the moon is still there and we still have all our seasons and we still have the sea and it's still roaring, then God said here, I will never allow the Jews to be taken away as a nation from before me. Thus says the Lord, he says, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. So again, I don't think anybody can measure heaven, okay? And I don't think anybody can measure, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, nobody can do that. So since those things haven't been done, God has not cast the Israelites or the Jews from his sight. I don't care whatever your teacher taught you or whatever your pastor or your preacher taught you. If that stuff hasn't happened, which it hasn't, the Jews or the people of Israel, which are the Jewish people of today, have not been cast away before God's sight. They're still his chosen people. But you say, Pastor Ed, that was the Old Testament. What if now we're in the New Testament? What if now, because of the, you know, Israel's rejection of God, God changed his mind? Well, I have to say this, no way. For God himself said of his promises that they are sure and they are everlasting. Okay? God does not change. If he gives a promise, it's a promise forever. Okay, remember the rainbow. God gave the rainbow as a covenant to Mo- to Noah. Okay, and he said, if the rainbow ever st- the rainbow will be there, I'll never destroy the earth again by flood. Okay, but just so you know that God has not changed His mind toward the nation of Israel or the Jewish people as they are called now. Here are a New Testament idea or two for you. Number one in this scripture, if we look carefully at this scripture, Jesus never says here that because of the rejection of Israel, God would cast all the Jews away from his sight. We read here, though, that those that rejected, Jesus was giving this parable against the Jews that rejected him. This parable was against the religious leaders of his day. 
If you want to see more on this, we, you can go to Romans 11. The whole chapter, Paul takes this whole idea and he talks about how Israel's not been cast away for good, but only that the Gentiles may come in and exactly what Jesus is speaking about to us here. And look at this. Look at Revelation 7, 1 through 8. Or I'm just going to, we're talk, you can look to, I should say, Revelation 7, 1 through 8, where God tells some of his servants to mark some special people. The highlight of this section proves God's point, my point, that God has not cast the Jews off forever. He says in verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed. This would be John speaking now. John wrote the book Revelation by Revelation of God. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Note the phrase there, the tribes of the children of Israel. There is nowhere in the New Testament, nor in any New Testament doctrine, nor in any of the tenets of the faith that speaks about any tribe of any Gentile church. There is no such thing as the tribe of the church of Antioch or the tribe of the church of Ephesus. There's no such thing. These are the tribe of the children of Israel, the Jews, that God is speaking about here. If you want more proof, I can send you to Jews for Jesus, which is a Christian ministry founded by a Jewish man who his whole life's work is to go out and try to win Jews for Christ. And it's happening all the time in their ministry. Okay, maybe the Gentile church is now Israel that God speaks of, because that's another idea. Maybe when God says the children of Israel, maybe those are by faith in Abraham, and maybe, you know, that just transposes and God just used the same word for the Christian church as, you know, the children of Israel, because now if we have faith in God, we're kind of children of Israel. Well, look at this last little bit of evidence. I want you to read about, if you're interested in this, look at the 12 gates of the wall around the temple in Revelation 21, 12, and 13. I'll point out to you these interesting angels or these interesting gates on the, you know, the, the wall around the temple in Revelation 21. Listen to verses 12 and 13. Also she, speaking about the, the area there, the temple and all that, also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, listen to this, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, I challenge you, if you believe this replacement theology, I challenge you, write me Email me, text me, my phone number's on my website, gospelsavingchurch.com. Tell me where you find in the New Testament that we have 12 tribes of the Gentile Christian Church. Because you won't find it. There is no such thing in the New Testament where Jesus references any of the Christian church and a tribe. That term in the New Testament, now this would be the end, that God is still recognizing 12 tribes that he had 12,000 sealed from each tribe, this would be in the end. Not now, not in the Old Testament, not 4,000 years ago, but in the end of the world, God is still recognizing 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. If all these scriptures don't clearly show you that replacement theology is evil, and that Christ Jesus did not mean that God replaced the Jews with the Gentile Christian church, you're just ignoring the proof 
and, and lost really in this matter. Please look at the proof of the whole Bible rather than just one obscure section to decide if the teaching you hear is right rather than just believing what you're taught by so-called teachers of the Bible. I have to apologize if I'm really going on about this or if I'm getting a little bit you know, heated up here, but I just cannot stand when men make evil teachings that go completely against the Bible. They don't line up with the whole of Scripture and then people just jump in and they believe them and they're unscriptural. They're unbiblical. I just get fired up when I think about it. So we can ask the question now, okay? If Jesus was not talking to us about God calling the Gentiles and completely replacing the Jews with the Gentile Christian church, then what was he saying here? Go to the highways, and as many as you find, invite the wedding. You know, so servants went out highways, and he gathered others, right? Because supposedly if the Jews were really cast out, now we've got to replace them with these Gentile Christians, right? What was he saying if he wasn't saying that? He was saying specifically that the Jews who refused to repent and believe, both past and present, would not be invited to the wedding feast or heaven because they disqualified themselves by rejecting the invitation. How do we know this idea is true? Well, look to your Bibles again. Lots of Jews in the Old Testament did turn to God and accept the invitation, and you can read of them yourself. Lots of Jews, I mean all over the place, Jews in the Old Testament, they turned to God. They were living wickedly. God sent them an invitation by a prophet. They turned to God. Okay, They weren't replaced, yet they turned to God. If you look at the New Testament now, who were the first Christians? Well, the first Christians were 12 disciples, which were Jewish. So the Jews were the first Christians of the Christian church. Okay, So if the Jews were replaced by the Gentile Christian church, how come God chose 12 Jews to follow him so that they could start the Christian church. Okay. Last of all, I'll send you again back to Jews for Jesus. This ministry, you can look at their ministry. You can read their reports. Jews still to this day are getting saved. They're coming to Christ. If God really replaced the Gentile or the Jews with the Gentiles, not one Jew could come to faith in Christ in the church age Period. Not one. They would have been replaced. Only Gentiles would be, the kingdom of heaven would belong to them, as people misinterpret this section of scripture and others. And therefore, replacement theology is wrong. Again, it's evil and it's unscriptural. All right, I'm off. I'm done. Okay, back to our sermon. So verses 9 and 10, Jesus told us that God was going to bring salvation to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected the invitation. He just told us in verse 10 that because of this, the wedding hall was filled with guests. If you read your New Testament, specifically the book of Acts, you can read it just how many Gentiles came to faith in Christ and fulfill what Jesus says here in Matthew 22.10. I mean, multitudes of Gentiles came from the preaching of the disciples in the the preaching of the disciples that came for Christ. And you better be thankful, because as I said earlier, the Gentiles outnumber Jews by lots to one, okay? Most, the majority of the people in the world are not Jewish. They're Gentile, okay? So thank your blessed God Almighty in heaven that God did call the Gentiles into salvation because had he not, we would all be doomed and that would be it. So now, they're at the feast. They're at the wedding feast. Gentiles are there. You could even say some Jews are there because we know that from history. 
But even in the midst of this wonderful wedding feast that Jesus is telling us about here, we read of a small problem. There's one blemish there. Look at verses 11 through 13. But when the king came in to see the guests, this is the great wedding feast, it's all filled, everything's there, we're ready to have the feast. He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So at this beautiful wedding feast, we're in heaven now, great and glorious heaven, we're all there. There's there now someone that doesn't belong. Someone somehow, Jesus said, gets into this wedding feast or into heaven, but they don't have an invitation. What is he saying? How can there be someone who makes it into heaven to the wedding feast but is not invited? And who doesn't belong there? And then they get kicked out or really cast into hell. Because if you look at the description, this person is cast into hell. The answer is found in Matthew 8, 5 through 13. You see, Jesus is admiring the faith of a certain centurion who comes to him, asking him to heal his servant. But just asked, but he just asked Jesus to say the word for his servant to get healed. And the servant would be healed because he didn't even feel worthy that Jesus would come all the way to his house and enter his house. So as Jesus is admiring this, this, this person's faith, he says this in verses 11 and 12. He says, I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom or of heaven. Or you could say at the great wedding feast. So many are going to come, okay, to this great wedding feast. But he says, verse 12, the sons of the kingdom or you could say the pre-chosen or pre-elect Jews, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he just said the same thing there as Jesus said here. These people who didn't belong, they weren't in their garment, they weren't in the wedding garment, got there, but since they weren't in the right apparel, God had to then tell his servants to kick them out. You see... So many of the pre-chosen elect Jews will come and see the great wedding feast and make it to heaven. And they'll see in heaven, in heaven this great wedding feast. But they'll be cast away because they did not get a wedding garment. Or, a, or, or you could say in non-parable terms, we know this from what the Bible tells us, they didn't get covered with the blood of Christ to cleanse them of all their sins so that they could be saved and stay in eternal life forever. Remember what I told you in the beginning of my sermon? I said to you, God does not play games. If we're his, we must give him all of our worship, praise, and ownership. And you see here now, these people got to heaven. They saw the great wedding feast. They were there, but because they weren't dressed right, biblically, we know in the blood of Christ, they saw it all, and yet they got cast away. God's not kidding. He wants all of you. He doesn't just want a piece. If you're not his, you'll see it all and you'll be cast away. Lastly, Jesus finishes up with the sad verse, verse 14. Let's read it. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. What is he saying? Two simple verses really explain it all. 
And I've already said them already, this, this, this sermon, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, on God's side, He wants all to be saved and come to repentance, but remember Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Yes, it's just that simple. God wants to save everyone, but only a few are chosen and found worthy because few respond to his invitation to the great wedding feast and eternal life with him forever. God wants to save all. He sends invitations out. People reject the invitation. And then they can't come in. How sad is that? But make no mistake. God's desire is to have a relationship with everyone in the whole entire world that has ever lived or will ever live. But many won't come. Many are called, but few aren't chosen because they don't accept the invitation. Simple as that. As far as today goes, God's love and desire is not changed for the Jews or the Israelites. I showed you that earlier in the scripture from the Bible. God even gave this same heart to the Apostle Paul when we read about in Romans 9, 3-5, where he says, Paul says of the Jews, For I wish... I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, my Jewish heritage, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God forever. Amen. Paul's heart was that all Jews would get saved too. He even said, I wish myself to be accursed, which means I would go to hell for God if God would save the Jewish nation of Israel. What a heart for the loss that Paul had. Amen? With all that rejection from the Jews toward Christ, God still desires them to be saved and wants them to come into a relationship with Him. Wow. Nobody loves like God. Guys, Nobody will ever love you like God loves you. But His love isn't just for the Jews, please. Don't misunderstand. His love is also for all people, all Gentiles, Jews, all alike. Or anyone that's not a Jew. Again, Gentiles are the majority people in the world. Sadly, the statement Jesus closes with, many are called, but few are chosen, stands for everyone in the world today. Sadly, even though Jesus Christ and God Almighty the Father love people so much The majority of the people on earth reject him and follow false gods, which are demons, or they follow themselves or their own fleshly desires like I used to do before I started to seek God. I live for myself and all the things of this world that I could have. I live for all kinds of things that would satisfy or gratify my fleshly body. But I was a miserable man. I could never get enough of the things that made my flesh happy. Where are you today? Are you where I used to be? Has God been reaching out to you, but you just keep rejecting him and turning away from him and his path? God sent Christ into this world to take all your sins upon himself. 
and to pay the sin penalty by his death upon the cross so that he could save you from your sin and God's wrath and give you an eternal home with God in heaven and paradise forever. What love is that? He looked upon your sinfulness and he said, I still love them anyway. Jesus, go. I want you to win people for me. Pay for their sins by your act of love. The question is today, are you going to keep running from him and continue to be the many who are called? Or are you going to turn to the one that loves you? Even though, get this, you don't really love yourself. Even though you don't, even though you reject him. Even though you live for the things that gratify your flesh and are leading you to destruction. So, are you going to turn to the one that loves you so much and be one of the few that are chosen? Or are you just going to be the called, but that don't accept the invitation and keep walking your own path? God leaves that decision in your hands and up to you and your free will. Jews who didn't have a wedding garment on in our parable today were the ones that got kicked out, okay? But today, Jews and Gentiles have been accepted by God alike. So now, Jews and Gentiles alike, that same thing would fall for us. If we don't have on our wedding garments, if we don't have on the blood of Christ to cover us from all, for all of our sins, then we will get to heaven. We will see the great wedding feast. We will stand there and we will look in the face of all the saints that made it. And then God will look upon us and he'll say, where's your garment? And we won't have anything to say. And he'll tell his servants, his his angels at that point, take them, bind them, and throw them to hell. Because they're not dressed in their wedding garment. They're not dressed... Their sins have not been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Make no mistake of this, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you do not have on a wedding garment and you die, you'll go to heaven and you'll see everything, but then you'll be judged and God will turn you away and you'll be kicked out and you'll be cast into hell. This would be, you've never turned to Christ with all your heart. You've never put your total trust in Him like a little child, or you're not doing that like that today. And you decided to follow Him. If you never have done these things, and if you're not living in them and walking in them, you will not be covered by His blood, and your sins will not be forgiven, and you will remain in your sins. And when you get to heaven, God will cast you out. God doesn't want that for you. If you haven't surrendered your life to Him, if you're not living for Him, if you've not turned to Him and you're not trusting Him with all that you are, then I beg of you today, turn to Him today before it's too late. You don't know when the time will come that you will die. You don't know the time that'll come when you'll stand before God and you'll see all those wonderful things that God has saved up, stored up for all those who love Him. And then if you're not clothed right, he'll cast you away. And God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to wait another moment. 
Turn to Him today. How do you do this? You fall on your face before God. You cry out to Him, God, please save me. I just need you. I don't want to go to hell. God, I want you. I want to choose your path. God, please save me. I don't want to die and go to hell. I don't want to be apart from you eternally forever. God, please save my soul. I need you. If you turn to him, then he will accept you. He's looking for any that are going to turn to him. So please, Make that choice today if you haven't already and turn to him with all your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this message. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much, Lord God, that your hand is outstretched still to all peoples and all over the world. Lord God, and you're calling all peoples, Lord, but just not many people are accepting your invitation. I I plead with you, dear God, by the blood of the Lamb. Continue, please, dear God, to reach out to the people out there that are listening to this message or even the friends or relatives of the people that are listening to this message. And I pray, dear God, that you would draw them unrelentingly, dear God, unto Christ by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, dear God, that you would crack their hard hearts, Lord, open their blind eyes, Lord, and help them. Lord God, grant them the gift of repentance, Lord, and and turn them to yourself. Lord, I pray that they would stop rejecting you. And I pray that they would turn to you and be saved. Because, Lord, we're all going to die. And we're all going to get to go to heaven. But just not many of us will stay. Please, Lord God, save souls of those that are listening, the relatives and family members of those that are listening, Lord. I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.